This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 14. This is Writing Excuses, Agent Query Trenches. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. This title comes from a specific question that people asked us about what to do when you're in the trenches dealing with querying. And we've actually gotten, we have seven questions all along the <laughs> yeah. same idea, uh, which meant we needed to do a podcast on this. <laughs> we, um, we asked you what you wanted to hear about, yeah. and so many of you were like, Please. Please help me. <laughs> this sucks. It does. Yeah. Sorry. Queries are miserable. Uh, let's just do the first one. What are your best tips on how to survive the query trenches? I'm, I think they're asking kind of emotionally, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the fact that you're getting lots of rejections or just never hearing back from agents on queries? Um, years ago, uh, at I think it was at LTUE, I was talking to uh, a woman who'd uh, handed a manuscript to Tracy Hickman, who was going to pass it along to an agent, and she said, what what am I supposed to do now? I'm in this holding pattern. And I said, well, if it gets handed back to you and you're told that it's awful, are you going to stop writing? She said, "Uh, no. Okay, cool. If If it comes back and they say, it's awesome, but it's not what we want, do you have anything else? Have you written anything else? She said, well, not Not yet. Okay, if it comes back and they said, it's perfect, but it needs revision, are you ready to keep writing on it? She said, yes. Okay, all of these sound like you can spend your time waiting, still writing. Because this validation that, you know, because it, it sounds a lot like your question is about, I'm I'm in a holding pattern because I'm expecting validation and I'm nervous about it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether I am told I can write or I can't. And for me, the best answer personally has always been, regardless of what they think, I am going to keep making things. And so I keep making things. Yeah, that's great advice. There's there's a lot of self-care things you can do, but uh, this is, for me and for Brandon, this was our baseline. Back when we were trying to break in, our rule was always be writing and always be submitting. Yep. Uh, because once you send that thing off, if you sit on your hands and wait, it is going to eat you alive. But if you spend that time creating something new and doing what you love and following your passions, it makes it a lot easier. I'm going to ditto that and so not repeat it. But what I will say also is that the thing about uh, your emotional state while this is going on is to understand that the fact that the query has gone out and you're waiting, um, that you're in a Schrodinger state, that it, it can either, you either have a published manuscript or you don't. But the beautiful thing about it is that you currently don't have a published manuscript. So the only state change is going to be a positive state change. And once you know that, I think that a lot of the pressure goes away because that thing comes back and you can just send it out again. There's no, there's like actually no risk. And the thing is, the more stories you have on submission that you can be submitting, at least for me, the less any one rejection hurt for me. Um, And this is just, I think, kind of natural of if you've got all these different different options, um, you're not 
so invested in a single one that, you know, a, a punch to the face right there hurts way more than if you've got, you know, lots of, lots of different options. I'm not sure how to make that metaphor work, but it really did for me. <laughs> um, and beyond that, uh, do remember that a rejection of a manuscript is not a rejection of you. I know we've talked about this before, and it's hard to think that way, but this is how you have to do. You have to be like, these are pieces of writing. These are pieces of art I've created. And it might be when they get rejected that there's something wrong with them. It might be this is just the wrong match. Um, they may be fantastic pieces of art. Um, either way, they're the pieces of art you created, and that imbues them with a certain level of uh, validity no matter what happens, right? They may not be ready for a professional publication um, because they might not hit the market. They might not have the skill level. There's all sorts of reasons. That doesn't mean they aren't your wonderful pieces of art that are valuable because you made them. Um, I really, really think that is the case. And so do lots of art and be submitting lots of places and try not to let the rejections hit you too hard. Um, Someone else asks, is it reasonable to be able to go through the process of getting an agent slash working to publish with a traditional publisher while working a busy job or being a student? Yes. Not only reasonable, but arguably requisite. Definitely don't quit that job until you've got a bunch in the bank. I think it's the more standard model. Having something else to distract you is also really handy when you're waiting for all mm -hmm. of these uh, responses to come to you. So yes, in fact, um, though the next question is along the same lines. I'm, if I'm slow at making edits or accomplishing tasks because I'm busy with school or work, does that run the risk of an agent dropping me or a publishing can publisher canceling my contract? I think as long as you're honest when you go in, um, and this is... This is a thing that I, I do see happen to writers, that uh, you take 10 years to hone a book and you turn it in and you, you have never had to write something in a year, which is what most publishing contracts are. When they, when they come to you and say, um, we would like the book on X date, uh, it is okay to tell them, I think I might need more time than that. They'll negotiate with you some uh, if you want to make a living as a writer, it is easier to have more books coming out. But there are also plenty of people who have a career where they bring out books very slowly. It's just a different shape of career. Yeah. And there are lots of people whose goal is to publish this wonderful novel that they've written. And that's, you know, they're the Harper Lees of the world. They want... They have this one thing, and they work hard and get it published, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be writing a book every year. You have to decide what your success thresholds are and what that shape is and what it looks like, and it's okay to kind of set your own goals there. I would reinforce what Mary Robinette has said, that if you are the, the publisher would rather have the person who is upfront and says, this is going to take me two years, than the person who is always a year late on their contract. Mm -hmm. yeah. The person who's up front and says this is going to take me two years, they can plan, they can schedule, and you'll be just fine. Yeah, don't think of it, the problem is not that you take your time, the problem is missing deadlines. Yeah. And so if you just establish the correct deadlines up front, you should be okay. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
Uh, let's stop for our book of the week, which is Seven Deadly Shadows. Yes. So uh, good friend of the podcast, one of our guest hosts a couple years ago, Valin Mayatani. Uh, she is Japanese by heritage, and she co-wrote a wonderful Japanese urban fantasy with another great local author, Courtney Alameda. And uh, this just came out at time of recording uh, from Harper, and it is wonderful. It is about a, a girl in Japan who works with her father in or grandfather in a shrine, a Shinto shrine. Uh, and while she is going to school and dealing with all these standard high school things, the shrine is attacked by Japanese ghosts, by yokai. Uh, and it spins off into this really dark. Courtney is a horror author. Uh, Valin is a, uh, a great thriller writer. And the two of them together have put together a really cool urban fantasy with this really strong Japanese flavor. I absolutely love it. Seven Deadly Shadows. Correct. Awesome. Um, so a lot of these questions are digging at an idea that I actually don't think that we've covered yet. This podcast, I think we need to highlight, um, which is they're saying, how do you how do you deal with all of this? How do you deal with this emotionally? Uh, I had a strategy for dealing with the query problem because the query problem is, uh, and everyone I know admits this, yet there's not really a better method. It is that a query is a bad pitch for a book. Usually, <laughs> right? Um, a, the first chapters are a good pitch for a book. If you read the first chapters of a book, for most novels, that's going to give you a really good indication of the writer's skill level, how good they are at making promises, how engaging their characters are, and things like that. None of that comes across in a query. All that comes across in a query is, you know, maybe the basic idea behind it um, and some of, the, some of the skills that you can bring to it individually and things like that. Um, my goal was always to squ- skip the query stage. After the first <laughs> year of querying, I realized I was bad at writing queries and good at writing chapters. Um, this is hard to do, um, but it is what got me published. I never got, a, I, I never got anything other than blanket uh, form rejections on queries. And so I went and I listened to editors at conventions. I talked to editors at conventions. I watched what people were saying. And I asked if I could send um, them sample chapters. Um, and a lot of times, if you ask someone in person, they will say, yeah, send me sample chapters in that line instead of a query. That doesn't really help. You know, if you're like, I'm sending queries and getting all these rejections, Brandon's saying, well, don't do that. Um, but I will say that is um, what, what worked for me. Um, I got, in all of my years of sending queries, one single non-form rejection letter. And that was from Joshua, who eventually became my agent. Um, but he had forgotten who I was by the time I met him in person and asked, you know, I'd you sent could- him sample chapters for something that was a bad match for him, and he had rejected them. Um, it was a comedy piece. Um, and so... What do you guys think on that? Like, is this helpful? Is this not helpful? Is it? I, I do think that there is some merit to that. Mm-hmm. Um, with the caveat that you should uh, ask the editors and agents that at the appropriate time, you should not, like, just come up to them randomly. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- like, don't target them. Yeah. Um, but but I think there is something to to that that... Uh, if if it's not your strength. The other thing that you can do, honestly, if writing a query is not your strength, is that you can get help and there are people who mm-hmm. will write query letters for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, this isn't um this isn't disingenuous. Yeah. Again, the query is a generally a bad pitch for your writing. It can be a good pitch for your story, mm-hmm. and someone else can write that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
one of the things that a query letter, and this is a, a, a solid reason to, to get good at it, um, is that often, not always, but often, the uh, publisher will wind up pulling the language from your query letter for the catalog copy. So it is an opportunity for you to control which of the things you are comfortable with people knowing and controlling spoilers. Uh, yeah. It's not perfect, <laughs> but it is an opportunity. Uh, and also the other thing about learning to write a really good query is that it is a way to uh, focus your stories. So I now write my query my query, the, the synopsis query, the little pitch thingy, I write that before I write the book most mm. of the time. And I've found that that really helps me hone it. So it, it is, you know, there, there are arguments both ways. I must have query PTSD because I never query on anything. <laughs> I don't even want to. Yeah, Brandon, um, we're just... Um, we're you're just also not. a household name, so... Mm. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference there. And uh, <clears throat> it's like... Brandon says, I have this cocktail napkin. We'll publish it. <laughs> uh, though I, th- I do think it's worth pointing out just to emphasize this. You hinted at this. When you decided your strategy was to avoid queries, that ramped up your level of work significantly. You yeah. had to do a lot of extra things in order to make that work. And so if somebody wants to follow that same path, they need to be prepared to do a lot more legwork, a lot more personal contact. And it's more expensive yeah, to go it's to convention. Way more have, expensive. Yeah. I have a, uh, uh, a back cover copy checklist that actually works really well for creating a synopsis, which is character, conflict, setting, hook. And it's just those four things. Give me a character. I don't care if your book has 20 characters in it. Just give me one. Just focus on one because that'll be more interesting. What's the conflict? Give me a sentence that shows what the conflict is. What's the setting? Put them in a room, put them in something, and now plant the hook. Uh, One of my favorites is from the back of, uh, I think it's Tuesdays at the Castle by Jessica DeGeorge. Um, Meet the castle that uh, changes itself every night and the women or the the children who will do anything to protect it. Mm -hmm. I'm in. I'm in. And so having that formula for me, it's not a perfect formula, but having that as a starting point makes writing a query, which is essentially marketing copy, much, much easier. Much, much easier. So um, we have the question here. When is it time to give up? This On is your a, dreams as an author? It just asks, when's it time to give up? So it, it's time to give up when it is making you ill. Um, and, and this is... Like, this is a thing that I think we do not talk enough about. Um, that that it's, first of all, it's okay to write just for fun. Uh, it's You don't have to be on a publishing track. No one goes up to someone who plays the guitar and says, well, where's your recording contract? You play the guitar, you've got to have a recording contract. It's like, no, you, everyone accepts that you can just play the guitar for fun. You can just write for fun. If the process of jumping through these hoops is making you ill. It's okay to stop. It's okay to put it down. It's also okay to say, I'm going to put it down for a while and then come back to it later. You know You know what else I've heard that is also okay? If you have a significant other or loved one who is willing to be a shield for you mm-hmm. and you are going to give them the works and you're going to say, 
When one of these gets uh, gets picked up, tell me. Otherwise, I'm just going to assume they're all out there in the aether. And um, I know people that for their mental health, that is how they have to work. Yeah. And it works really well. The creator focuses on creating, and the partner focuses on making sure that these queries are going out and even sample chapters and things are happening. Uh, I've got two friends who over the last year or so have both given up. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which makes it sound like a failure, and neither of them see it that way. No, uh, they're both authors. They're both creators. For one of them, it was the realization that what she really loved about art, she could also get uh, through visual art. And so she said, "You know, I, I haven't had success with this. I'm going to pursue a different direction." So she still has something very fulfilling in her life that she loves to do, and is finding that she's excelling in it, which is great. Uh, for the other one, and this is this is stuff that she shares uh, publicly. Uh, Natalie Whipple, uh, who's who wrote what is still today my favorite esports science fiction novel, uh, just kind of said, "You know what? What I really love is storytelling. I think I'm just gonna play D and D." She now GMs two different Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, uh, some with her kids, some with friends. She is getting all of what she was hoping writing would give her through a different outlet that is leaving her very fulfilled and happy. Yeah. There's an entrepreneurial principle here that runs parallel to the, uh, you, you've set a trigger event, Mary, or a, you know, a trigger pull event, which is when your health begins suffering, mm-hmm. it's time to change. Yeah. It's time to change something. Um, the, the entrepreneurial aspect is before you go into this business endeavor, you need to have decided what, what the failure modes look like uh, and it may be that the failure mode is when I have paid the bills for all of the things in my life using my credit cards for three months in a row, it's time to give up this business and go get a real job. Okay? Because putting that pin in the ground ahead of time means that when you look at this financial disaster you've created, you can say, oh, Oh, I actually predicted this as a failure mode. Uh, it is now fine for me to quit and to move on. I do not know what this looks like for writers. I know that as a cartoonist uh, in 2006, uh, Sandra and I were literally on our last uh, seven or eight thousand dollars of savings, and and that was what we sent the first Schlock Mercenary book to the printer with. If that had not paid for itself and and paid all the bills, then it would have been time to go get a job. And we knew that that was the signal for time to give up. I got lucky, didn't need to give up. We're out of time on this, um, though our homework this week, we wanted to find some way to kind of help you with some self-care. Um, and if you'll forgive a little bit of a diversion here, um, this doesn't necessarily get better once you get published. That's the thing you have to realize, right? So true. Now, those of us in this room, me in particular, sit in a very privileged position where we're able to earn a living off of our writing, which certainly does take away some stressors, right? I understand that. But once you get published, you are still going to be dealing with editors sending you long sheets of uh, of notes about how bad your story is, <laughs> right? And once the book comes out, you are going to hope for reviews because reviews are very important to you, like Amazon reviews and things. But some of those are going to be bad. They're going to be scathing. And um, if you are fortunate enough to get very popular, 
every place you go on the internet, you risk having people running across people having a discussion about you. This is where yeah. I am right now. I can't go anywhere that I used to hang out without just running across threads. And though oftentimes the first comment is laudatory, the second comment is the opposition, right? Mm-hmm. Is the, why do people like this guy? He's terrible, point, 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 point. Yeah. And that is just, you're going to have to, as a creator putting your work out there, get used to the idea that, you are going to face criticism in some form or another every day of your life. Yeah. And so learning to cope with this early on can be really handy. And the homework we've suggested is something that some of us here at this table do, which was we go read one-star reviews on Goodreads of books we know are brilliant, right? Um, I do it for Terry Pratchett books, right? I go in and say, okay, who could possibly, possibly hate Good Omens? Um, and I go read about the one-star <laughs> reviews, and I'm like, oh, art is subjective. People are allowed to like different kinds of art. Yeah. It's okay for them to not like my art. A one-star review does not is not a personal attack. It is just this art isn't working for you, me. You, you practice a much more kind-hearted version of this. I will read the one-star reviews and go, man, the world is full of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so go do that. Go familiarize yourself with the idea that art is subjective and then keep making your art um, and meeting your own goals. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.